Welcome to Knife Making Down Under Pubcast. We're here today, locked in our houses, and we're loving it. So, welcome. Uh, we've got a special guest today, Mr. Ewan Gibson of 84 Engineering fame. Say hello, Ewan. Hello. Hello again. Okay, that was awkward. Uh, okay, okay, so, um, Mert, Kev, how are you? Yeah, oh, great, mate. Yeah, things going well. In, in this uh, lockdown, supposed lockdown. Matt, how are you going? Are we there yet? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. My, my wife was already working from home, so she she's home. I'm home. Kids are home. Yeah, it's, it's intense. Do you know what day of the week it is? What is week? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what is... <laughs> <laughs> the other day I woke up. I woke up, like, I saw the wine, glass of half wine sitting on the counter. I'm like, is it breakfast? Is it dinner? Does it matter? Do I count? <laughs> I did not drink it, but, yeah, one of those days. How you guys been traveling? Oh, to be honest, mate, I'm a little bit shed crazy. Uh, I've been making all sorts of tools. I'm having a fucking great time. I haven't made any knives, but I've had a good time making tools and jigs and fixtures and things. Yeah, I've... Uh... I've made a new path leading up to my workshop and I we hired a four cubic metre skip for the weekend that we were looking at each other going, we're never going to fill this. And three hours into yesterday, I was jumping up and down on it like it was a fucking skip trampoline trying to make a little bit more space to throw stuff in there. So that, that, that happened pretty quickly. And then we decided we'd clean around the outside of my shed and cut down... Uh, an olive tree and a fruit tree that were planted in shitty spots by the previous owner. And then that led to cleaning up even more area. <laughs> so <laughs> there's not many of those jobs I said I'd get around to when I had time left to do now. Yeah, fair enough. And how about you, Ewan? Are you in the shed much? Oddly enough, I'm in the shed all the time. <laughs> <laughs> no, business as usual here. I mean, we're in the middle of nowhere. So being stuck here is, well, normal. Although I did manage to go and cut some firewood yesterday afternoon for a change you know rather than seeing everything burn i'm cutting it um I even found some that wasn't burnt <laughs> i guess where you are you're up in the hills a bit i guess it's starting to get a bit cold up there yeah we had our first frost uh wednesday nice big one so yeah it'll be frosting every night soon enough yeah right and how about you mert what are you doing that doesn't sound like Mert. no no it doesn't he looks angry. <laughs> I'm going to mute you, Mert. We'll keep going. So, yeah, our special guest today is Ewan Gibson from 84 Engineering. Ewan sort of first came on board on the knife-making scene in Australia. When was that? When were you first on the forums and the groups? Oh, 2015. We normally go through a bunch of interview questions, but today we, we will do that. But we'll also touch on our little... Um, trip to japan which we haven't brought up on the podcast yet but for me and kev i think it's uh, got some fond memories and i'm sure it does for you too ewan oh, absolutely it was a it was a great trip so we'll give listeners a bit of a insight into japanese knife culture and the size of toilets <laughs> <laughs> and just basically a bit about uh, how we found culture in japan and how culture in japan found us yeah i think so let's get into that because that was a pretty freaking cool trip so Yui and I, I believe, Yui, it was your first overseas trip as well. Absolutely. So Yui and I, we shared a little bit in common 
with the fact that we'd never been overseas. We were both fucking suffered great anxiety when we were actually planning to travel overseas. So <laughs> we fucking <laughs> rocked up to the pre-trip get together and had a couple of beers and sweat our let's start a bit earlier and explain how the trip started off who started it and why and all that oh yeah well for sure well karim went over karim had had went overseas with his son i believe gus and uh they got the notion to put together a tour and uh that was done through uh one of our instructors at eido andrew thompson who ran a or was about to start up a small travel company or something like that Australia Japan tours um, so they put it out there I guess to field who'd be interested in going and we end up getting what was it a dozen at least a dozen people there was a few of us there was Alistair and his wife and kids and Alistair Phillips there was not Richard Gear. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, no. <laughs> Peter yeah, Peter <laughs> <laughs> Richard Giro, Richard Giro, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, I don't know, Kareem, of course, and um, Layla. And then uh, who else did we have? We had Andrew Thompson and his friend that were the tour organisers, and yeah, Yui, me. It was a decent little trip. It was a rough crowd. So yeah, kick it off. You went to the pre-meeting. Well, Yui and I went and had a beer together. This is all leading up to the event and, you know, things were good and we were talking about how we were a little bit stressed out. Just the fact that, you know, we're about to jump onto a plane, fly for seven or eight hours and land in a foreign country, which we'd never done before. So we got through that hurdle and it was actually quite interesting landing. And, you know, our tour guide was used to taking, from what I understand, Andrew was used to taking groups of people over to do martial arts training rather than touristy stuff. So... When we landed, Andrew basically was like a fucking rat out of a drain pipe, bolting through the airport to get where he had to go. You and I were like fucking two little kids who just had our lollipop stolen, like standing there in fucking tears because we had no idea what to do or where to go. You were like that the whole trip, though. Oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> they needed to fucking slow down. But we got through. We got through and then... Uh, all customs and everything, and then it was just like, it was a fucking surreal moment. It really was. But the best thing when we got to the hotel was seeing you pop down straight away, and I think your first words were something along the lines of, about time you got here, who wants to go to the pub? (laughs) (laughs) I'm actually sitting in my hotel room, and I hear the clitter-clatter of about 10 rolly suitcases on cobblestones coming down. Everybody in the street would have heard you guys coming up the street. And I thought, oh, that looked out the window, and sure enough, here's Kevin, Ewan, and the kids, and Alistair, and everyone. So I've gone downstairs, yeah. And I mean, I'd been in Japan for a couple of days previously, and I'd sussed out all the pubs, so. Yeah, that's awesome. So we dropped our bags. Yeah. You and I looked at each other, hands went in the air. Yeah. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. I'm yep. came for a beer. Yep. Big, 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 big. <laughs> it was current, a bit concerning, yeah. though. We're in this foreign country, and there's this man leading us down a dark alleyway to a pub. And so it was just, it's just down around the corner and across the creek and over the hill, and, and it's down this set of stairs. And it's like, where, where is Corin actually taking us? Yeah, Corin was like a fucking GPS. Oh, mate. Yeah, Corin was like a GPS. He'd seen, a, he'd seen this pub <laughs> once before and he knew where to go. And he actually did know where to go. That was that was also 
very good, but a little disconcerting at the same time. I was like, Fire. What do you think I've been doing for three days? Yeah, <laughs> sussing out the pubs. I don't speak any Japanese. <laughs> so, yeah, we, um, yeah. Yui and I followed Corin like two little lost puppies, and we ended up at a fucking Irish pub. We went down these steps. No, it was the English yeah, pub. Went, yeah. English, don't lead them astray. Yeah. The Irish pub was later. Was later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we walked down these stairs into an English pub. We opened it up, and it's like it's like walking into an English pub there's a thick layer, a thick haze of cigarette smoke and um, a massive amount of, obviously a massive amount of Japanese people there uh, who sort of turned around and looked at these three white guys and it almost went silent. And then uh, we were just like, oh, well, fuck, this is interesting. And then Corin went up to the bar and uh, ordered three bureaus, three bureaus. And we found out through our trip that if you add the, the word O to most things, you can get away with getting it. Like a biro or a Big Maco, fill it a fisho, that sort of stuff. <laughs> anyway, we line up for this beer, <laughs> hanker it for this beer. Corin orders the beer, then turns around to us and goes, Watch this, guys. Watch this. We're going to fuck with him. We're going to fuck with him. And we're like, Yui and I are like, What the fuck is going on here? So then Corin goes, they don't, like, they don't like tips. They can't do anything with tips. So they come up, they give us our beers, they tell us the price. Corin hands over some money and he's like, keep the change. And these, and then he turns back and looks to us and he's like, watch this, watch this. And these two Japanese guys are standing there looking at each other, looking at the money in their hand with no idea what to do. Corin's just turned, he's looking at us, cacking himself silly. So you and I found out pretty fast up, it's not a culture where that you need to tip people because they get very upset. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Um, and, and as soon as I found that out, I was tipping everybody. So, yeah, yeah that was... That was <laughs> tip the cab drivers. <laughs> so that you guys rocked up about 11, 10 o'clock at night, 11 o'clock. It was pretty far gone. And we, we went back to the... We found a little table up the back <laughs> of, the, of the joint. In the corner. Uh, and there's a couple of girls down there drinking from a, um, like a big, beaker. like a jug, but not a jug, a big beaker thing. Massive beaker, yeah. Yeah. And to put it frankly, um, they were blind. They were pissed. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so we ended up having a pretty good night until um, it was time to go and they didn't want us to leave. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you, you and I both had to literally climb over the table to get out. <laughs> Because <laughs> they weren't going to move. Yeah. Broken English. Oh, it was like yeah. fucking hell. This, this they were Chinese students. They were, uh, they were Chinese students. Correctly. Yes, yes. Mm. Very drunk Chinese students in an English pub in Japan. To start off with, they had terrible English. Oh, absolutely. Yes, yeah. They had far better English than I had Japanese or Chinese, though. So I'm well, just putting that out. This there. is true. This is true. So yeah. Then then after that, uh, that was a bit of a good introduction to. Welcome to Japan, English yeah, pub. English. Then we fucking, yeah. Then basically the next day we started touring around Tokyo, didn't we? We did. That in itself was also pretty fucking bizarre. Shopping in Tokyo was like, I fucking hate shopping. I fucking hate it. I, there's nothing about shopping I like except Tokyo hands. Tokyo hands, I'll go back there every day of the week. Oh, yeah, Tokyo hands, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you ever go to Japan, you've got to, the Tokyo, Tokyo hands is the department type store. And each level specializes in a certain sort of product. So you have like homewares and fucking handyman stuff and all these other things. And this, the one in Tokyo had what, seven floors or something. It was fucking madness. 
huge. Didn't buy enough. Yeah. Didn't buy enough. No. Like, I bought stuff like, you could just buy jewelry making gear, and I was buying, like, ring sizing gear and everything. You could buy a backpack. You could buy any bloody thing. It was awesome. Awesome files and shit, which I've still got some. Yeah, materials, tools. Oh, man, I just I just want to go back there with a blank check, and I'd just go nuts. I, I wish I had a blank check to go nuts with, but that was one of the highlights of the shopping experiences. That, and there was a little, like, later on in the trip, we went to some weird-ass, um, just like a big box hardware chain, and that was pretty cool, too, but... That was kind of my highlights of Tokyo, other than the robot restaurant. Well, we we actually visited a blacksmith oh, in Tokyo. Fuck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that that was one of our reasons for being in Tokyo was I'm to go and visit a blacksmith. Yeah, it was awesome. The chisel maker. He was a chisel maker. Yeah. yeah. And his workshop yeah. for those for those that think their workshop spaces are small, mm-hmm. this guy had a fucking tiny shop shop front. It was absolutely cram-packed with fucking everything. Like, it was like four feet deep in shit everywhere. He had a little hole hole in the ground that he sat in to do his power hammer stuff. He wasn't using cardboard for his clutch or something on his power hammer. Exactly right. It was a strip of cardboard to make the clutch on the power hammer. Yeah, so we visited him and uh, he he made a whole heap of bloody chisels. A few people bought the chisels and got him to um, put in the, the kanji for their names and stuff. That was cool. Yeah, that was our first thing of um, giving people a block of timber and some Tim Tams as a, a gift too. Yeah, and and the thing about that guy was there's two things I remember really distinctly. The first was he had sandals, and then when he was putting his what you call it the kanji or whatever on the on the blades for us, yeah. he took his shoes off and he was pinning the stuff. He was doing it on a pile of rubble yeah. <laughs> with an old school light globe right over the top of it, all by hand with bare feet holding down the job. I mean, it was just cool. With his feet, yeah. yeah. And it was like, I, I walk around my shop barefoot, but fuck, man, I would not go near his shop barefoot. That would be like hospital straight away, but no. Nah. Yeah, and yeah. the other thing was, when I said to him, um, I want to buy something from you, because, you know, he's a maker. He's like us, right? So you want to buy something. And he's he's looked at our work, and he's, wow, you guys, but you guys can make it. And I said to him, yeah, but then I, I could make one, but then it wouldn't be one made by you. And he was like nearly in tears. Remember that? He was like, Oh, and then we all bought like a Kiridashi or whatever. and Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I've got mine. It's still wrapped in that, you know, the Japanese paper that he wrapped it up in. I've got mine so that I can take it in and out of that Japanese newspaper as a sheath. Yeah, nice. It's bloody great. Yeah. You... It's, it's a, what do they call that one? Not Sanmai, it's two layers. He made one in front of us. Remember that? Nimai. Nimai. Yeah, two layers. Yeah. <laughs> so that was... Uh... That was pretty special. Well, Robot Restaurant, you mentioned Robot Restaurant. That was fucking trippy. <laughs> people are probably sitting there. People are probably sitting there. Those who haven't been over, probably sitting here at the moment, going, "What the fuck, robot restaurant? It's not. It's not robots serving you food. There was, in fact, no food at all at robot restaurant. But you went into this place that was gilded in gold. It was, and, it was popcorn. Come on. Yeah. Well, true. There was beer, there was, and chandeliers, lots of chandeliers. There was beer row, which was good. And the toilets. The weirdest. The, the weirdest. The weirdest toilets. <laughs> I was about to say, the weirdest, the weirdest <laughs> fucking toilet in the fucking world. People would open the door to come into the toilet, and the general population of robot restaurant could see you at the urinal. Which was pretty similar to everywhere you had to piss in Japan. Remember that park where you're like, oh, hi, kitties, and having a pee and... Yeah, doing doing a doing a wee at the park with the window open, and then a family walks by. Oh, <laughs> like, uh, 
Okay. Uh, yeah, just close that window. Thank you very much for coming. But uh, yeah, there are there are a few fucking weird cultural things going on there. So following Robot Restaurant, which is this crazy choreographed anime fucking weirdness, just fucking awesome but bizarre. And if you go to Japan and you go to Tokyo, you've got to go to Robot Restaurant. It's it's just a fucking you have to go there. It's Japan in a nutshell. But following that, we ended up, um, uh, our tour guide arranged uh, dinner at some place. It was an all-you-could-eat on a yokonami, which is the oh. vegetable pancakes. <laughs> and we, we, we had other plans, but he, didn't, he wasn't aware of that. So That was the Happy Hungry Dwarf Night. <laughs> happy Hungry Dwarf Night. <laughs> yes. Mert, so, have you ever been to, just a minute, just a minute. Mert, have you ever been to Japan? Not yet. Well, you've got to come, mate. We're going to have to have a knife-making down under retro trip to Japan. Fuck. Oh, yeah, fuck, it'll yeah. be great. Yeah, we'll have an invite only because I think I think there will be certain people yeah. that we, we would like to be going along with that could tolerate us and put up with all the weirdness that goes on. But, yeah, we went to this Onayokanami, which <laughs> ended up being the favourite food of choice. It was those vegetable pancakes and stuff, and it was all you could eat and all and you drink. could drink. And drink for beer and soft drinks for what was it three hours? Three hours for thirty bucks? Yeah, thirty dollars. Yeah. And we thought actually we thought that was a pretty good deal, but later on we found that that was pretty expensive by Japanese standards. But I think we got a good deal. Yui, Yui, Corin, myself, and Richard Giro were at our we're at our table, and I we I think we put the staff to the test. We had many, many, yeah. many beers. We had many, many, many pancakes. That came to the it came to the end, and it three hours of jugs. Yeah, they were like one liter steins of beer, or like massive, bigger than pints anyway. And there was that we were going like, <laughs> let's have one. We can fit one more beer in. So we've called the lady over, and we're like, four more bureau, four more bureau, and she's just giving us the like, nut, you've fucking cut out, you're cut off, time's up. And we've looked at our watches, and we're like. Four more minutes, four more minutes. And she's like, last one. All of a sudden, she could speak English. Last one, last beer. <laughs> it was funny because when we, when we got there, they were like chuckling and rubbing their hands at what a great deal they'd done. <laughs> and by the end of it, they'd gone white. <laughs> they were like, these guys, are, these are going to eat everything we've got. But it was good. We just kept eating and drinking for three hours. Solid. There are some photos getting around from that trip at that dinner where we started using napkins in funny ways to do dress ups and be different characters at the table. And <laughs> the fuck, it was funny though. All I oh, remember is walking out and realizing we were an awful long way from the hotel and it was pretty hard to walk. So we, we ended up doing a pub crawl home. Do you remember that? We... <laughs> it was hard to walk. So we kept walking, but we went to, pub. Irish, we went to the Irish bar as well. That's right. That's Irish bar. Yep. And had oh, a, I had, had more food there. I had one of the Irish little... No, but the food there is so small. I could order a meal and it's like two mouthfuls. But anyway. Yeah. And needless to say, the next day, um, oh, well, I was anyway feeling pretty fucking ordinary. I, I was just a fucking touch hungover that last day in fucking <laughs> in Tokyo. Yeah, I don't even remember. Nah. There was, a photo I took, there was a photo I took near one of the shopping centres and all the guys... Well, all of us that fucking were went out the night before, we're all sitting on this bench, basically just looking at our fucking shoes. And someone took a photo of us, 
And I, we were just like, fuck, yeah, that, that explains exactly how many beers we had last night. Yeah. Yeah, we went to some temple. That's the other thing I remember, the don't lean over sign. There was so... <laughs> <laughs> a place <laughs> selling tourist fuck that was funny and there's like this big stand of like tourist trinkets and there's a sign that says don't lean over so we were all leaning over and getting our photos taken anyway that that was pretty amusing yeah and, and the hotel how how good was that hotel in Tokyo oh man it's kind of true, <laughs> true what they say when people talk about things being small in size in Japan in terms of room space, Yui and I found it quite funny. We shared that first hotel room together and it was very funny going into the toilet for the first time because you stepped up, like up a step into the toilet, which effectively my head was touching the roof. You couldn't do your business sitting down without putting, if you wanted the door closed, you had to stick a leg in the bath and tuck the other leg underneath yourself to go do number two. <laughs> Or as happened in the case with you and I, we're just like, sorry, man, got to use the toilet. Door open, feet hanging out. <laughs> so you know, whistling a tune as you're doing your business with the door open because there was literally no fucking space. It took about five minutes to work out how to do the bloody uh, turn the tap to the shower on. And as I said, my head was touching. Yeah, that's right. Remember the robes? I got stuck in a robe. Oh. Yes, Kev got stuck. <laughs> I was, yeah. Hey, Yui, watch this. I'm gonna be funny. I'm gonna stick on a, a I'm gonna fucking stick on a kimono thing, and um, I got fucking stuck in it, which in itself was kind of funny because yeah. I'm fucking like, uh, I had to do the Harry Houdini fucking getting out straight of his bloody straight jacket thing. Yeah. To be fair, you're the size of two normal Japanese people, though. Well, true. This is true. Yeah. I was quite big in Japan. Yeah, sumo, sumo kev, sumo kev. Sumo kev, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, yeah we had to on, take our shoes off. On that note, take, uh, <laughs> take your shoes off. And, and then, then they're going, oh, you want, you want your slippers, and you're going, start size 12, size 12. Yeah. Oh, no, no, we, we yeah. don't have size 12. <laughs> yeah. Size 10, extra big. Uh, nah, not big enough, buddy. <laughs> the other tip that I can say is if you are, like, you know, size probably extra large or above, don't take a small amount of clothing, think that you can buy stuff over there easily because you fucking well can't. <laughs> I was told, don't pack many clothes. Clothes over there are cheap. Just buy them as you need them. And I had to go to the dodgiest, like, trinkety, touristy shop to find a T-shirt that would fit. And I've still got it in my cupboard. And it is of a fucking sumo, caricature sumo guy. <laughs> So I'm wearing fucking caricature sumo guy around. And uh yeah, it's it's just small people sort of is good good shopping for small people, not big people. Yeah, fuck that was that was all right. Tokyo was okay, but then we got a bit more rural, didn't we? What do we do after Tokyo? Was Saseki after Tokyo or was that Kyoto? Seki, yeah, Seki. No, it was Seki. Yeah. The main the main part the main reason for our trip over, I guess, in the big scheme of things was to go to the Seki outdoor knife show and seki city is renowned for being like the hub of knife making in japan they, they've got a lot of shops uh well what are they fucking manufacturers over there that make products if you look at a japanese made knife most times you get it'll have seki written on it and that's where we were off to and we went from the shinkansen to a standard train to 
like uh, almost an open cart from the 1930s <laughs> in our travel in our travel through the rural japan was like literally traveling back in time so if you haven't been to japan the shinkansen is the bullet trains they're about 1.5 kilometers long doing uh, something in the order of 300 kilometers an hour you have to line up at uh, the station at the doors uh, where the where the train's going to pull up at your door you have to get straight on there's no mucking around because they take off again they're never late they run on time every time and um, when they pass each other at 1.5 kilometres long, it takes about two and a half seconds for them to go past each other. Oh, yeah, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. And, and if you look out the window, it appears that the power poles are on a 45-degree angle um, as you're zooming past them. But I have to say, as the method of transport, man, that was so smooth. There's no turbulence. There's no you know, pressure loss in the cabin or anything like that. It was real smooth. Like It was a pretty cool experience, I thought. And before you get on the train, you can go and buy sushi and all that sort of stuff uh, and then sit down and have your own little picnic in the train as well, which is pretty cool. The seats are comfortable, plenty of room. So, yeah, we took this uh, train trip, several train trips back in time. Uh, the Shinkansen, which was awesome, onto a sort of a standard train and then onto this rickety old two-carriage thing, which took us to Seki. Um, and we got off at this really old, ancient-looking train station and I don't know about everyone else, but I was thinking, where the fuck are we? I was waiting for some Japanese banjos to start playing initially. It was it was like middle of fucking nowhere. Anyway, we end up we get to our hotel, which was uh, for some people was really awesome. This beautiful like pure Japanese style building on the river, absolutely awesome. And then we went and checked in, and the outcasts ended up having getting shunted. And we stayed out in these uh, portable fridge-looking things. At co-sheds. <laughs> on the outside. With, with, <laughs> with paper-thin walls. <laughs> well, we found out they were paper-thin walls in our, our little one because we had a, um, a fellow that we've kept in touch with. Um, we, we had a tour guide and we had a small bus in Seki and it was, you know, we were travelling around, we are looking at all these cool things. And this fellow... Another Japanese guy had two American people with him and they contacted us and said, oh, can we come on your um, on your tour group? And we're like, yeah, sure, we'll jump in. There's, there's heaps of room. So they joined us and toured around and we were just in this little mini bus thing having a conversation and he's up the front. There's a big unit of American dudes up the front and his head's bobbing up and down. And we're like, everything all right, mate? And he turns around and he's just laughing going, I have no fucking idea what you guys have been saying for the last 10 minutes. And it involved terms like shithouse, so we had to explain to him how the Aussies can use the word shithouse in about 17 different ways. And, uh, yeah, that was that was good fun. It was very funny. That was Tim. And if you look him up on Instagram, it's Rustworks, R-U-S-T-W-O-R-X. Him and his partner, That was and, they were great. They were good value. We had a good time with them. And we, we teased them because we could hear muffled words through our walls with him and his partner having a conversation and uh we made up the next day that we could hear that you know it sounded like he was pleading for sex and his partner was saying no you're not getting any and it might have actually been that our joke was probably a little close to home because he went all bright red and they talked a little bit softer when they were in their room from then on (laughs) 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 which which was kind of funny but gee, Seki was such a great town. That was such a great place. I, I love that. I, that... Oh, fuck. 
knife making everywhere. Yeah. You'd be walking down a back yeah. street of somewhere and there would be like a shed in someone's backyard and there'd be four people in there grinding. So was, we went to M Custer. Yeah. We went to the M Custer factory. That was real high tech. Yeah. Uh, that, was, that was wire EDMs and all the rest of it. That was like pretty crazy. And then we ended up going over to their uh, showroom where they had all their knives out. I think it was who was it that went first to buy? Was it Richard Giro, Peter? I think he went to buy a bunch of knives. And if you go to Japan, the other thing is they're a technology based system, but they don't like credit cards. If you go to Japan, you need to get Japanese money, you need to have hard currency. So I think it was Peter that went across to buy like 10 knives and got out his credit card. And they were like, oh, no, no, no credit card, no credit card. And he was like, oh, Oh, okay. And then went to put the knives back and they were like, oh, okay, credit card. <laughs> so then everyone else looked at each other and was like, fuck yeah, let's take credit cards. So they're all, <laughs> we're all fucking, but we had to walk 200 metres back the other way to go to their office to actually pay for the stuff on the credit card. So that was funny. I was a little bit conservative when we went to M Custer because I was like, oh no, we've got, you know, another three or four factories to go to. This is going to be really cool. And then every, pretty much every factory that we went to following that was like a little bit less on the technology and a little bit more on the old school until like Uzi Master Hattori. Hattori, yeah. We went to, yeah, went, yeah. Went to Master Hattori's workshop. That was fucking, that was pretty, like everything in there was ancient. I loved it. Oh, that was where I bought, yeah, was, out the front they had a couple of ladies sitting there with boxes of knives in front of them and I bought, do you guys remember he had the whole bunch of kitchen knives there with white and black plastic moulded handles? Yeah, I've got one. I know, isn't that? <laughs> <laughs> do you know my biggest regret of the whole trip is not buying 10 of them? They were like, yeah, fuck yeah. They were like $9 each. They cut like a laser and, they, and I said to him, what's wrong with them? Why don't you want them? Oh, the cancel order got cancelled. What steel are they? Oz 8. And I said, what's Oz 8? I never heard of it. And they said, the steel that was fashionable last month. <laughs> <laughs> Something along those lines that translated as. And I'm like, yeah, no worries. I'll take one. I should have taken 10. That was fucking grouse. Oh, yeah. I used to use mine all the time. It's pretty fucking cool. Best knife in the kitchen. And it's all chipped up. I need to do it, get Myrtle on to sharpen it up for me, but whatever. Yeah, downside of Oz 8. <laughs> I would have just brought another. <laughs> I would should have just bought 10 of the bloody things, mate. 90 bucks, you would have had a lifetime supply. Fucking oath. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, that was pretty cool. Like, we, we did a whole lot of that touring around. Like I said, everywhere we walked there, seemed, we noticed that yellow crates was sort of the signal that there was something knife-based going on. So these yellow crates full of knives everywhere. And like I say, we're walking home from that sushi joint that day, and you see yellow crates, so you sort of stick your head around the corner, and there's some backyard workshop manufacturing scissors or whatever's going on. And it was like... That's right. Unbelievable. That sushi joint, the sushi train, where we fucking got like McDonald's fries with fucking McDonald's chocolate sauce on them. Yeah. That was cool. French fries with <laughs> French fries with chocolate sauce Choc and cream. That was cool. I ordered that and it was I gotta admit, it was actually pretty fucking tasty. That was the one where I tipped the lady and ran and she just ran after me and it was like She did. <laughs> out, out the door straight after you. Boom. So anyway. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's where that big hardware store was too. It had the liquor aisle in the hardware store. Yeah. It was just across the road. There was a four-litre four bottle of Suntory whiskey for sort of like $60. Unbelievable. Oh, yeah. We should have seen that earlier. Yeah. We were there for Seki Knife Show. So we probably should talk about that because, yeah, yeah, yeah. my fucking God, that was a knife show. You talk about Blade Show being big. 
But in terms of sheer numbers of people, Seki would have to be bigger than Blade. The the knife show room itself was tiny. The knife show room was like the size of bloody Melbourne. But the actual sheer numbers of people? Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, you you couldn't was, move. You that street that we move. went down. So they had the knife show, which was all the makers, uh, a lot of global makers. We actually met Glenn. I met Glenn Waters for the first time uh, at that show and saw his knives. You know, he'd sold out of most of his knives before the show even opened. And, you know, folks, his knives are not cheap. They are fucking unbelievable. Ten to $15,000 Australian each, something around that. There were some seriously fucking good knives, and then there were some knives that you were looking at going, yeah, they're okay, they're not bad. But just the style as well with these these Japanese guys, man, some of their stuff was just fucking, like, mind-blowing, what they were getting up to um, with the handle work and stuff on them. The funny thing about that one was that it was the – Seki outdoor knife show, which was inside. But then there was the outside knife show, which was not called the, it was the knife festival or something. The, the festival, yeah. yeah. Knife festival. Yeah. So the festival was this narrow street that was about a kilometre and a half long and it had vendors line up either side as far as you could see. Knives out in the public, kids picking them up. You know, the culture over there is just so different. But there was, what, 25, 30,000 people. Oh. Easy. Jam-packed into that one little section. Easy. And me and Richard Giro got collared. We were waiting around on a, sh- on a street corner trying to find you lot. And me and Richard Giro <laughs> got fucking collared to go up on stage. And we got interviewed on stage by a giant fat cuddly toy. And Jesus fuck. Marshmallow. Marshmallow man. <laughs> the second uh, mascot, yeah. Shaving cream man. Shaving cream man. <laughs> the mascots were amazing. Uh, I, normally, I normally have this urge to crash tackle mascots. And in Japan, they were all so cute. I just had to go and give them a big cuddle. Yeah, oh, it's funny. And so they had this big, big shaved head Aussie dude coming up, squishing them. It was kind of funny there. Remember, there was one stage when you're talking about like getting lost and stuff. There was one stage where, I don't know, within the space of about four seconds, a few of us, you know, ended up just missing anyone. And we got together and we're like, well, we can't find Yui. Where's Yui? And we looked down the road and because, you know, it, it's fairly true. The Japanese are reasonably short people, so there's all these dark-headed people. And then about 100 metres down this road, there's a blonde blonde head with a ponytail. And we're like, fuck, there's Yui. Let's go. So we're fucking like, excuse me, sumimasen, sumimasen, excuse me, excuse me, ducking in and out of all these fucking Japanese people, you know, bumping into them, which is very rude because uh, we're a bit stressed. We, Yui was ahead of us. And then we get down and a bit closer and a bit closer. To be fair, I didn't bump into anyone. I just stood behind you, mate. It was yeah. <laughs> We're getting closer and closer to Yui, who's in front of us. And then the blonde-haired ponytail turns around, and it was like some European lady. <laughs> just happened to be about the same height as Yui. And we've just gone like, fuck. That's not Yui. And then we turn around and about 50 metres back where we started, there's Yui waving at us. Guys, guys. <laughs> I was like, fucking hell. If you go to Seki, expect the English-speaking Japanese or the, what is it, the English-study Japanese people to want to interview you. Yeah. And you've, you've kind of yes. politely, after about the fourth time, you've got to politely say, look, I'm very sorry, but no. I'm going to keep moving. Oh, it's a funny, funny place. Beautiful people, great people. Just if you do go there, just tip. Make sure you tip because they love a tip. <laughs> they love a tip. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, the best tip that what we the... got from from one of the Japanese guys was the the tour guy that was there with Tim was remember when we were going to go buy some food from Seven Eleven, and the guy comes out with and he had a six pack of beers in his bag, and we're like, "Where'd you get them from?" And he goes, "In the Seven Eleven here. Why is that?" And you go, "Fuck." And he's like, hey, don't tell me you've been drinking beer out of vending machines. And we're like, yeah. Every, everywhere. If, to put it into perspective, a 500 mil can of beer was about five bucks from the vending machine in the hotel lobby. And we were drinking those thinking it was good value. We go into the 7-Eleven and there's a six pack of those beers for about $14. So we, we bought up big on the beer. Some fella in this street market gave us a big bag of peanuts. So we sat down peanuts. on these stairs back at the hotel eating peanuts and drinking beer trying to float the one cent coins down the river they're, they're one cent yeah they're one yen coins are like plastic and apparently if you flick one into the water and it floats it's good luck which if you set them on the water they will float right yeah, yeah. we lost about three hundred dollars trying but... <laughs> <laughs> that's the luckiest river in the world now because people go there when they're feeling a bit low they can actually just go and stick their hand in and pull out 500 bucks the currency is a bit strange. Like each one of those coins was 0.1 of a cent or something. So, yeah, it was bizarre. It was weird. We had a pretty good time at that hotel. And that was the one night. Do you remember the, the night the fishing boat came up with the fire burning in the brazier thing over the bow? And yeah. Geez, it was. They had the, what are they, the cormorants doing the eels or something? Yeah, it was pretty cool. Eel fishing. It was pretty cool. But, Seki, yeah, then you and I went out. Yeah. On a, we went out on that business dinner. Remember that? Yeah, we do. So a little bit of background there is, uh, well, we actually, leading into that, we went to a sword school, a sword shop. That's right. Um, Nihon, what was that, Nihonto? Uh, that was one of, uh, Igarashi-san was another one of our Iaido sensei that trained us here in Australia. So we went to his store, which was in the family, sword shop, which has been in the family for like 400 years. And we've gone into Igarashi-san's shop and I hid down at the back because he didn't know I was coming to Japan. And then I popped my head up and, you know, he doesn't speak English, I don't speak Japanese, but we we're both very excited to see each other. And then we did the whole whole tour of the shop, which was kind of funny because he did a very animated way of explaining the proper care and handling of a sword, which involved <laughs> like a bit of a... <laughs> almost, soft, almost soft porn, the way that he was explaining caressing and caring for this 400-year-old sword. So... <laughs> That was very you look funny. at the sword like you look at a woman. Yeah. <laughs> They're just as dangerous. Yeah. So then we, we we tend to finish pretty late these days, and and we went and got some food and went back and back in the hotel room. Karen and I both eating our you know Seven Eleven curries, which were really nice, mind you. Um, and then Andrew comes in. Andrew was our tour guide. Comes in. He's like, "Oh, Kevin." Um, Igarashi son's here to take you out to dinner. You need to come out to dinner. And I'm like, I just, I'm just eating dinner. And they're like, put it in the bin. You've got to come out. You've got to come out. And I'm like, oh, all right. So I go out and I'm about to get in the car and they go, oh, there's space for one other person. And we have Miwa son, who is like a intermediary mm. between a whole lot of businesses. They go, go and get Corin. Corin wants to know about getting contacts for steel in Japan. And I'm like, fuck. So I run back into the hotel room. Corin, you got to come to dinner. And Corin's like, like the rest of us who's knackered from the day, just finished eating a full fucking meal. He goes, fuck off, I've eaten the meal. I go, no, no, you got to come. There's this fella that's going to talk to us about like Japanese steel contacts. So we're like, oh, all right. 
So Cora and I go out, we go to this really nice restaurant. They trick us into ordering a, a big beer, which again was about a litre of beer. I think we actually, I think we asked for a big beer, big ones, big ones, and they came out with these fucking steins. Yeah, it's like one litre steins. And then they ordered about 10 courses for this dinner. So I'm like, fucking hell, have to take one for the team here. Um, anyway, Kyra's talking to me, son, about all this stuff, and he ended up taking us back to the hotel. And then the next morning we get up, and Igarashi son and them are there, all in black and obviously very distressed. And Miwa son had gone home that night and suffered from an aneurysm and died. It was uh, there was a bit of sadness there. So rest rest yeah. in peace, Miwa son. We had our last supper with him. It was a fucking great meal. Like don't no bones about it. The guy said to us, "We're just drinking, drinking, drinking." And then they're talking to each other. And Kev said, what did he say? And he said, he said, you drink like Chinese. Well, <laughs> that was from the fucking, that was from the sake. <laughs> that was from the sake. One of the things in Japan when you're having a drink is they go, it's Kempai. And it's like bottoms up. And you, you skull, you drink. So we, Karen and I, we're doing like Kempai. Put the glass yeah. there. And they fill it straight away. And you're like, oh, shit. So we're like, Kempai. Another one down. Yeah, it was like 10 shots in. That's when they started having to talk to each other. And they're like, oh, you drink sake like you're Chinese. You know, goop, goop, goop. And we're like, yeah, but isn't that what we're meant to do? And they're going, no. Like, if, if you take a sip, oh. it doesn't get refilled. Oh. We're like, oh. <laughs> oh, let's do it. As, as, as we're dribbly, staggeringly fucking blind drunk at that stage. And we were fucking eating like crazy. It brought out this smoked oh, eel. Man. Remember the eel? Jeez, that was good. Eel. Like, oh, the eel dishes were unreal. Eel's like the seki dish, from what I understand. Like, mm. it's the... It's the local cuisine. No, we smashed the eel that night. Fuck, yeah, that was unreal. And then, yeah, Miwa-san. So, yeah, fortunately, um, Miwa-san passed away, which was like a fair tragedy for our for uh, our tour guide and Igarashi-san were, were very good friends with Miwa-san. You know, on that other level for us, it was sort of that door that had just got open was suddenly closed again to Japanese steel merchants. And there was a little bit of a downer for the rest of the sort of time that we were in in Seki, which was, you know, it was very sad. So, yeah, that was like the not-so-good side of things, unfortunately. Mm. But it was fun at the train station on the way out. Remember that? Putting coins on the ground, seeing if anyone would be too polite to pick them up. Well, what about the uh, what about when we had to get um, changed on the last night of our accommodation in Seki? We got moved hotels into a really nice hotel. Oh, yeah. Um, and that was opposite the, opposite the big shopping centre and oh. laundromat. So... <laughs> yeah. We hadn't. None of us had washed our clothes in like ten days, and we we're all a bit smelly and wearing clothes like undies and stuff for the third time to recycle <laughs> through. So we all went across to the shopping centre and we bought like a six pack of beer, got a bunch of change, and went into the laundromat to do our washing. And we're in the laundromat drinking beer, which we found out afterwards drinking and eating in public in Japan is actually quite frowned upon. So here's this raucous group of white guys getting drunk in a laundromat and then we we decided that we would stack like one yen coins up in little piles all around this laundromat to see if the next time we went back in three to five years or something whether they'd still be sitting there we must have put about 10 bucks around that place i remember that <laughs> we put them in yeah, not quite as much not quite as much as we lost trying to get the fuckers to float no, it, but no. there was a lot there <laughs> so this lady comes into the laundromat to do a laundry has a quick look around, sees five of us in there getting drunk, waiting for our laundry to 
wash and dry, turns around, hightails it out of there. <laughs> Off she goes. Yeah, poor Japan. I don't think it was yeah. ready for us, to be honest. No, no. I don't think it was ready. The other funny thing was there's a lot of what you would probably go as far as to say would be um, almost money laundering, I guess, from from the show perspective. Um, the the Russians the Russians love buying really expensive knives and stuff. And it was that funny thing that day. I don't know who was out the front with me, but this black yeah, I was there. black van, purely blacked out van, yeah, pulls up and out yeah. jump two dudes off of fucking uh, Mortal Kombat or whatever, you know, a Russian guy <laughs> and a Japanese guy. And I forget who was, I forget the local guy that was with us, but they're basically saying, you know, don't look, don't look. And we're staring. We're looking at these guys. We're staring at these guys <laughs> going, fuck, check, check these clowns out. And this fucking, yeah, Russian guy and a Japanese guy get out. One has a bag and one has a clipboard. And they go into this show and they walk around to each table, basically picking up the inventory that they bought. And I think they bought about eight or nine knives off Glen Waters, which, uh, yeah. like I said, not cheap knives. Yeah. So, yeah, we were like, holy fuck, look at this shit going on. You're probably looking at 100 grand right there. Oh, yeah. 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 Yep. No, it's kind of madness. Yep. But we saw, um, well, shit, one of the other things we did, we saw a master swordsmith. That was cool. Yeah, we watched him. Forging, that was really cool. Saw him forging some stuff, and then we went to a sayer maker and saw them do their business. The sword polisher. So all of these things are just how like people working from their homes in Japan, and you wouldn't know walking down the street that these houses like have these people in them, like doing that sort of work. Um, they're not normally open to the public, so we've got to give credit to our guide for getting us in the door to see that stuff. But it's pretty amazing to go into a master swordsmith's workshop and see the most awesome things. And he was telling us back when they were occupied Japan after the war, they weren't allowed to make saw um, scissors and cutlery. So he took us into one of the rooms and showed us some fucking dinnerware that he'd made that was just fucking like beyond anything that I've ever seen and probably ever will see in my life again. But they forged funny, you know, you talk about your, in your workshop car and just with your thongs and stuff on, they're forge welding steel under a power hammer and they're using rice straw to, to block the fucking stuff from splattering into their faces. So you sort of get another perspective of, you know, not third world, but ancient techniques, I guess. Traditional. Traditional. That's the word I was looking for. And we got to man the bellows. How good was the rice paddies in amongst all the fucking oh, houses fuck yeah. and stuff as well? Yeah. So you'd like said, walk past one alleyway out in the open and there's a miniature rice field. They're just scattered all over the place. It's very, very... Bizarre and surreal experience actually walking around Seki. For anyone that wants to go overseas, if you're like you and I were, you haven't been overseas and you want to go somewhere that's, you know, you could navigate yourself around. You'd want to have a USB dongle for Google Translate. But talk about a safe place to be. I think they were the nicest people. It, like they have to be one of the nicest people in the world in terms of being safe. No, oh, absolutely. They won't take, yeah. they won't steal your money. They won't even take it when you give it to them. Yeah. Oh, that reminds me of that guy when we were on the trains, uh, the suburban network around. Canadian um, fella. The Canadian. There's a guy wearing a Canadian flag shirt, and I've gone, You must be from America. And he looked at me and he goes, I can tell you're a Kiwi. Yeah. <laughs> he was the one that yeah. he was the one that was telling us to tap tip the taxi drivers. Yeah, yeah. He said, "You think that's funny? You think tipping's funny?" He said, "You want to try tipping a taxi driver? They will chase you and throw the money at you." Yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we gave that one a go. That's true. 
So one of the other funny oh, things, like Seki was awesome. Like I said, yeah, I, I probably reckon, yeah, I'd love to go back there. We should do it one day. We'll try and reorganise another uh, group to go over there and get back to Seki. Never would I miss it. We want to do Osaka where you went on your own afterwards because that sounded yeah, good. Like, like Osaka. Osaka sounded good. But, um, yeah, man, I'd be keen to go back there because I reckon there'd be so much more that we've missed that would just be fucking awesome to see get back there and we went to that health retreat you remember that yeah the onsen yeah, after, the, that was when that's after we went to kyoto so when <laughs> we went to kyoto we went to kyoto we did a whole heap of fucking shopping and and we all sort of split up and went our own ways and just fucking it was pretty cool and then karim had told us that at the end of the day you go to the the shopping mall and down in the basement is like the food area like if you picture like david jones the old school david jones with all their food and stuff so Krim's like, oh, we'll meet back here at whatever time. And, you know, from about 5.30, 6 o'clock onwards, they start selling all their food cheap to get rid of it that day. So we went down there and there were just bizarre things. There was like an apple for $400, three mushrooms, shiitake <laughs> mushrooms for fucking no shit for like five grand. And you're just going, what the fuck? How can this be possible? Food, an apple, seriously, 400 fucking dollars. Yeah, but and we're just like fuck. It was a nice looking apple, but oh yeah, best looking apple you've ever seen. For that price, you'd want it warm and cord though, wouldn't you? Oh fuck yeah! <laughs> so then we go further into the um, this food hall and we start getting into the you know all the sales of their food. And Yui and I went across to one joint. Oh, the, schnitzel. The, schnitzel, <laughs> the schnitzel fella. Oh, and we go schnitzel, and... <laughs> get your box, schnitzel. Here's this guy and <laughs> And you and I go home, we're like, oh, yeah, cool, fuck schnitzel, that looks good. And we work out through, like, sign language and stuff that it was, like, three bucks for this massive fucking pork schnitzel. So we get, we go, oh, right, well, yeah, oh, fuck, I'll have two of those. So I'm like, I'll have two. And you, he's like, oh, I'll have two as well. And then he starts, like, fucking yelling out. We couldn't quite work out what he was saying in Jap Japanese because we don't know it, but we we're picturing that he's, like, these white guys are eating our pork schnitzels. They must be good. Covered by our <laughs> pork schnitzels. Because he's pointing at us. He's pointing at us and then yelling out to everyone else like, look, white guys eating pork schnitzels. Buy ours. They're obviously the best. So he fucking smiled on him as white as a bloody, like, you know, from ear to ear as well. And then we went and sat down because there's nowhere to eat. If you go to a food hall in Japan or most places in Japan, as I said before, eating in public is actually considered to be quite rude so we're at the end of the day we'd had fuck all to eat ourselves we're starving hungry and we found this little alcove next to the fucking escalators so we sit down and start eating and seriously man the people going up that escalator thing they were fucking looking at us like we were scum they were not <laughs> impressed at all and we felt bad for about five seconds and it was like well fuck they're never going to see us again who cares so we got more of our... We're hungry. Um, yeah, it's, we're hungry. <laughs> and then, yeah, our last yeah. sort of day, our last night in Kyoto was up in the mountains. We had to jump on a fucking public bus with all of our luggage. Um, <laughs> you know, your standard city bus in Australia all of a sudden had like a dozen people with big luggage bags and stuff on there heading up to the mountains, middle of fucking nowhere, to go to this onsen, which is a Chinese bathhouse. And uh, we walked from the fucking bus stop to the bloody thing, which was at least a couple of kilometres. 
and this stage we're up in the mountains and yeah, it gave this real old school building. It had fucking really cool, like, I don't know how old it was. It was hundreds of years old. The The roof beams were like come up to about my nose. I think I've got a photo somewhere. I was standing in the room and the, the beam of the roof was at my nose height. So there were a lot of fucking bumps on the head that, that couple of hours that we first got there. And then it was funny because they had the baths and where, I don't know, we're, I'm not real one to be sort of jumping out in public, exposing myself too often, except for if I'm stalking McVicker um, for his birthday. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so we're sort of taking turns going into this bath, you know, having a look in going, yeah, no, no one's in there, my turn. And uh, <laughs> it was a Corrin that went in there and didn't have a towel. <laughs> yeah, fuck, forgot my towel. I thought there'd be towels in there. I'm yelling down the hallway, stark naked. <laughs> Fucking someone get me a towel. We're all sitting in the room pissing ourselves. <laughs> all the Japanese are sticking their heads out of the hotel rooms. What the fuck's that white boy saying? I'm saying, get me a fucking towel. I'm not walking around naked. So we're all in our room. So yes. Just out the corridor pissing ourselves because we could hear Corin yelling out, I don't have a towel. I'm naked. Give me a towel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, that was yeah then you got to go get starkers pre, pre-shower before you go into them. You're given a little modesty cloth, a little loincloth to put over your private bits. And uh, when I went in there, I thought it was empty. I was like, beauty, I'll go have a go. So I get in there, and I'm sitting down in the lower bath, and then I hear this splooshing up top. So there was like three stages of bars, and I think they all got hotter and hotter as you went up the fucking thing. And there's this like splashing noise up the top, and I'm like, oh, fuck, someone else is in here. And uh, yeah, down, down the, I was going to glance over my shoulder and see this person walking down. I'm like, oh, fuck. You know, look look at your toes. Look at your toes. And it, it was Alistair, and he'd taken his glasses off. <laughs> he was like, oh, I fucking couldn't see anyway. <laughs> you know, I ended up doing the nutty run up to the top bath, and I'm sitting in there, and you look, you know, it was a pretty small bath. I was quite cosy in there just on my own. And you look at the sign next to it, and it's like, you know, maximum occupancy in the bath was four people. I'm like, fucking, one other person gets in here, they're going to be rubbing bits with me. Screw that. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, but nah. And the thing, I liked everything about Japan. I liked the vending machines where you could get alcohol. That was fantastic. Oh, yeah. Everywhere there was a vending machine to get alcohol. Ice creams. But what I, oh, fuck, yeah, ice creams. <laughs> but, yeah. but how's about breakfast? Oh. <laughs> oh, the breakfast at Seki. Oh. <laughs> breakfast oh. at Seki. Go on, Yui. Explain the breakfast oh. at Seki. <laughs> so, you, know, you, you rock up to this beautiful breakfast room and it's, there's windows and there's a good view of the river and you think, oh, this is going to be great. We're going to have this great breakfast. And they bring out these trays and a little, like I can only say it's like a, a little um, like incense burner, you know, oil burner thing yeah like an oil burner and and you and they bring out this tray and, and it's like full of pickles and there's a piece of fish that you put on the oil burner and you cook it uh, to be fair i don't know if we were ever supposed to put the fish in the oil burner but maybe <laughs> not but that's what we did and, and there was a there was a there was this sort of a, a cold half cooked egg stone cold that was all oh, runny yeah. and horrible and, and a bowl of rice and, and, and a bowl of rice, and it's like, this is breakfast. Yeah, it's cold. That's why it's breakfast. If it was dinner, it'd be hot. <laughs> well, we learned we we learned the hard way because I was the sucker that scoffed the cold egg and realised it was cold, 
Um, and we learned afterwards <laughs> that you got, you're meant to get a hot bowl of rice and mix your cold egg in with it to make warm eggy rice. But there were a number of things in there each day. We'd sort of like almost play paper, rock, scissors to see who would try what, what What's pickled this? thing and tell us what it tasted like and see if anyone else was going to eat it. But you had to. I was so fucking hungry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's it. You weren't getting anything else for a long time if you didn't eat their brekkie. <laughs> and those eggs, man, like that stone-cold half-cooked egg, fuck me. I don't know what the fascination is with that because, God, that is no delicacy where I come from. Oh, the... um, <laughs> Yeah, the fucking... Yeah. The, the potato salad was good. Japanese potato oh, salad true. was good. The rest I of the pickles were a bit weird. But the, but it was it was fish one morning and and bacon the next, wasn't it? Yeah, and their bacon it was, was bacon really was cut so it was so thin. It was you could see through it, it was so thin. Like there's your piece <laughs> of bacon. Like, <laughs> what is this? That yeah, was really, funny. really weird. Really weird. Yeah. Now, poor guy, yeah. poor Andrew was getting upset because everywhere we went, we're like, Andrew, what are we eating here? And he thought, I think he thought we we're having a bit of a piss take and stuff, but it was like, no, no, we just want to know what we're to eating. To be mate. fair though, Kev, you, you've travelled a bit since then. Back then, you were not, a, you were not a good traveller, my friend. Oh yeah, you were. <laughs> Fuck no, I was, I was fucking like, <laughs> I reckon my heart rate was fucking, and blood pressure were like almost at fucking death rates for ninety percent of the time I was over there. I travel so much for work. I got to find my way around and and stuff and like oh, no. no problem at all. And 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 Kev, Kev's just shaken. I'm pretty sure a couple of times you and I almost stood in a corner together holding hands, fucking shaking, like it was. <laughs> <laughs> I said to Kev at one point, I said, "Mate, settle the fuck down." He said, "But we're going to lose him and we're going to get lost." And I said, "Look at this, Google Maps, nearest Irish pub." Bang, that's where we're going. And he's like, oh, yeah. All right, right, then. Look, we're lost. He's like, we're lost, we're lost. Quick, go to the Irish pub. My my Pixel 4 just tried to find one. There you go. Fuck, that was funny. It was, was. yeah. No, it was good. And uh, we saw a lot of stuff. We met a lot of really good people. And... um, we ate a lot of things. We ate a lot of stuff. We ate stuff. Yeah. We ate things. Like I said, ice creams. If I, I don't actually eat much ice cream these days or any really, but I was a mega sweet tooth back then. And any place we went, I was buying an ice cream. And some of them were just like the best, seriously the best ice cream I've ever eaten. I ate in Japan. But seriously, the shittest ice cream I've eaten, I also ate in Japan as well. And you come unstuck <laughs> occasionally... You'd come unstuck occasionally, you'd buy something looking at the picture, judging the book by its cover, and find out that it was a savoury be- red bean ice cream weird thing. And you're like one bite in and you're like, <laughs> about the hurl. <laughs> and of course, they don't have fucking many bins around because no one eats in public. So you're kind of forced to eat this thing. That happened, that happened a few times. I, yeah. I reckon we should have more uh, knife travelling I reckon uh, I reckon that trip was should have been the start of many. Unfortunately, we've just done um, well not unfortunately, but we've been to Blade a few times, but we haven't sort of we haven't sort of repeated it. We the guys went to Africa from Cumac. That sounded like a pretty good trip. Yeah, we'll have to get, we'll have to get one of those guys on to tell us about that because I reckon that was um, yeah. that that in terms of a massive culture shock as well. You know, you're going out and seeing fucking lions. 
Who the fuck's these lions? There were no lions in Japan, thankfully. There were bears though. No, we saw bears. We fucking bears. Yes. We didn't see any. Yeah. We had a good we had a good look. Or you had a look. I didn't. Yeah. I fucking ran up to the top of that <laughs> temple about I was like I was fucking like the hundred meter world champion up fucking stairs to go to that temple. I'm like, I'm gonna see a fucking bear and I got Kev as bait. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. I don't have to run fast, I just gotta run faster than Kev. Yeah. That wasn't gonna happen. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, ah, good times, good times. Yeah, yeah no, that was a good trip. Is there anything else we want to cover on Japan, or should we start, start interrogating Ewan? Let's interrogate Ewan now that he's oh, now that he's oh, warmed man. up to us with our trip of Japan, which was fucking awesome. Let's get yeah, into it. We've got to do it again. All right, where are you from, Ewan? Where'd you grow up? Where am I from? Where did I grow up? I grew up on the south coast of New South Wales, so um, Aladala, uh, rural lake area. Yeah. Good place to grow up, near the walk to the beach, yeah. go fishing in the lake. Yeah, fantastic. Did you say Lake Burrill? Yeah, yeah, Burrill Lake. Oh, that's brilliant, man. Yeah, fuck. I went down there with an Aboriginal guy and stayed down there, and he was showing me um, um, all the things you could eat and, and, and stuff. It was just really, really cool. Yeah, he made a ditch for me. But, yeah, nice, man. Beautiful part of the world. Yeah, we, we used to go, yeah, get down under the bridge. Go fishing for puffer fish and throw them up on the bridge. <laughs> Did you yeah, ever surf? No, not really. No, no. Yeah, fuck that. Um, Too many fucking sharks out there. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us how you progressed into knives. What? How did it happen for you? Here you are, little long-haired kid bouncing around Lake Burrill, catching puffer fish, littering with them on the road. <laughs> how did this then progress to where we are now? I. I saw a, we went to the Candelo markets. I remember it quite vividly when I was probably 11 or 12 and there was a blacksmith making miniature horseshoes and I had no idea who, I have no idea who it was, um, but I was just mesmerized. I just went, wow, this is just, just unbelievable. And I was hooked. So I started blacksmithing back then and made a forge from a half a 44 gallon drum and, you know, all the stuff you do when you're a kid and of course the blacksmithing inevitably turns into knife making i'm gonna make myself a knife probably to the dismay of my parents but you know whatever and fast forwarding on i when i left school and i was doing a trade i met someone who was into medieval reenactment i was like oh i'm into blacksmithing oh okay oh could you make me a sword i'm like i'll give it a go give anything a go so i got into making reenactment weapons so I was making swords and axes and spears and things for the reenactment guys. And that kind of went on for a while and blacksmithing in the meantime. And, you know, this is this is in the days before the internet had much information and we couldn't get any uh, steel in Australia. We had to get steel from overseas and, you know, kind of felt like you're the only guy in the shed at home doing this and you must be crazy. And that sort of went on for a bit and, made some Damascus by hand and it took all day to make one little billet enough to make a little knife. And and somewhere along the line, I got hooked on, on machining and ended up with a bunch of machines in my workshop at home. And I was at home with the kids as a stay-at-home dad, really, and needed something to do. And I had a little ad on Gumtree saying, come and, you know, do, do machine services for you, you know, whatever you need. And this bloke, we were talking about him before, Oh, he's a fucking player. Matthew McVicker contacts me, says, can you do this? 
I won't tell him what he's. What, what, I, won't, I won't say what, what he wanted me to do. But can you make me one of these? I went, oh yeah, oh, the, the ones that they're too expensive. Went, okay, all right. So I'm making one. He's like, oh, there's other things you probably need to make too, and you need to talk to this guy. Like, oh, who's this guy? Oh, he's this Corin bloke. You know, give him a call. Went, okay. And that was when I first spoke to Corin and kicked things off, and it kind of just went from there. What was your first knife? The one that you actually bought for yourself, or was it given to you? Or um, yeah, my first knife was uh, a Swiss Army knife. I think it was something like a climber or a hiker. I bought it for myself when I was about eight. And oh, actually, no, that's a lie. That was the second knife I had. The first knife I had was sort of like a three blade or a two blade with plastic, you know, lookalike jig bone on it. And and it rusted solid in the coastal environment within about three weeks. <laughs> and I bought a Swiss Army knife because of that. But yeah, that was that would have been my first knife. Nice. Yeah. yeah, no, the good old Swiss Army knife, fair enough. Yeah. What uh, yeah. what trade were you in, Yui? You just said before that you were doing a trade. What was so the trade I did was actually cabinet making. So I was also, as well as being interested in blacksmithing, I was interested in furniture making. So I, I did the smart thing and went and ruined that by turning it into a job. So I did that for six years and very much found out that it wasn't for me and that I never wanted to do it ever again. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, that, it's funny how yeah. that happens a lot of times with guys when they go, fuck, I'm just super passionate about whatever it is and they'll go and get involved in that as a work thing and a very short period of time later just be going, yeah, fuck this, I need to change. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It happens. Fortunately, it hasn't happened in the current in the what, I, what we currently do, and I don't foresee it happening. So. No, that's awesome. Do you still make knives? I, I'd love to. I the last knife I made was probably three years ago, maybe more. Time hasn't been very available in the last few years to make knives. So, what have you been doing? There's a lot of people out there listening to this probably don't know who eighty four engineering is. So. What I've been doing is making belt grinders. <laughs> so we would be, I don't know for sure, but we'd, we'd have to be close to the largest manufacturer of belt grinders in Australia. And when I say we, that's still just my wife and I. Easily. <laughs> well, yeah. Who else yeah. is there? I mean, I, well, we can think of one other, but two or three, none of them would do the sort of sheer quantity export orders and stuff that you do, mm. eh? Yeah. No, no, I don't think they would. Yeah, so we've been we've been building belt grinders and developing products, and yeah, I remember coming over to your place a couple of times just to give you a bit of a hand when you know you were a bit swamped because of Gamaco bulk buyers that sort of shit, or just actually keeping up with standard Gamaco stock. And I'd come around and do the mundane tasks like spray paint the stands and grind things down while you were doing the important thing of actually welding things up square and true. And that was from your workshop effectively out the backyard at, at Isabella. And you've just recently moved out now to Cooma or just beyond Cooma somewhere around there anyway, middle of fucking whoop de doo And you've got a massive shed now, or you had it, you've still got the shed, but what's happened there? Like, is there anything further to that that's developed? Yeah, so we, we planned this shed uh, about three years ago. We started planning the shed I'm sitting in. So it's uh, 288 square metres. Um, and at the time, it was what we what we really needed for the business was more space. We were working out of 114 square metres and Kev would be able to tell you, you couldn't move in it. <laughs> yeah. You surprisingly, though, still had more room than Corin. 
Oh, well, that's a given. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> so we, we, ne- we required more space and we both decided we wanted to get out of the city and with Sarah's family's from down this way, so we'd moved down here and we built this shed and by the time we got it through council and everything organised and got it done, we moved in here last October and I very quickly realised that I needed not so much more space, but I needed two things. One is I needed help to be able to produce things. And two, I needed to separate my personal stuff from my business stuff because at the moment the shed is a mix of both. And because there's work stuff in the way, I try and do something that I want to do. There's work stuff in the way and it just I just end up sitting on my ass and doing nothing. So as it stands, we are about to sign a lease on a shop in town in Cooma. It, it's one of those situations where I met an old friend of mine at the start of last year who in passing said he owned this workshop in Cooma and he was he was working out of it at the time, but he was moving out. And I didn't think anything more of it. And I hadn't seen this man. This is someone from my cabinet making days and I hadn't seen him in probably 10 years. And then in July or August, I bumped into him again, just out of the blue. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. And I said, oh, have you still got that workshop for rent? Yep. Like, yeah, I might need to talk to you about that. So um, the plan was was to be in there about now, except because we had fires and now we've got this virus rubbish. So everything's been a little delayed. But basically we'll be moving um, production into town. We've already put actually put a um, CNC machining centre in there, sitting and waiting, so we can do more of the production in-house. We currently use third parties to do all the machining work and welding work and things like that. So we want to try and pull it all back in so we've got a lot more control over what's going on. Yeah, so exciting times. Um, yeah, absolutely. Last thing we needed. In, indeed. The last thing we needed was fires and viruses to oh, fuck. confuse It's just madness though, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, I swear, I reckon it's my fault because I wanted, um, first time in five years, I, I was really looking forward to having some time off in January. <laughs> and then you, and then, you, heard it, you heard it here first, folks. You were yep. to blame. <laughs> uh, I'm to blame. And, and yeah, to be honest, to be honest, I, I was probably the only person who um, would have actually heard the lightning strike and seen it. Um, that lit the fire back here. <laughs> so I'm probably definitely to blame. But um, yeah, generally we spent sort of five weeks fighting fires, which wasn't much of a holiday, yeah. to be honest. <laughs> no, not at all. I wasn't working, but yeah. Yeah, it's very hard to focus on doing anything yeah. when there's an imminent threat like that, even if it's not direct. Yeah, yeah. You'd have to call that downtime. But yeah. we get, we're still getting a lot of support. People are, um, People out there are giving uh, 84 Engineering products so much support. You have to oh. really say that. We, oh, look. You know, here we are. We're all closing down, and they know people know that it's going to be tough times, and they've been buying grinders left, right, and centre. So we can just say thanks to everybody that's still supporting us. So. Yeah, absolutely. The whole of the knife-making industry, from your backyard hobbyist to guys like me to then people like Yui, you know, we're all in a fucking weird place with everything that's happened in the last fucking six months or so, but there's that absolutely is an awesome community feel with people supporting each other, trying to keep people going, trying to keep people in business, which is good. So you've also got not only sort of Gamaco as a customer, but you've got global customers too, haven't you? Yeah, that's right. So a lot of people may or may not be aware that we were shipping grinders to the UK 
um, <coughs> several years ago. Alex Steele was selling those in the UK and was also shipping to the US. With Alex moved to Montana, he contacted me April last year and we started talking about doing grinders again. So we've shipped a number of pallets now over to Alec, uh, which the, the latest ones I think were only sold this last week. And we're still moving ahead with continuing that, which is really fantastic. Um, I've also got a reseller in the UK who sells into, into most of Europe. So uh, that's Multi-Tool Products UK. So John sells the Multi-Tool over there as well, but our grinders as well. So it's, it's really fantastic. And it's fantastic that the reception we've had all over the world um, has just been amazing. It's, it's just mind-blowing that, you know, from a little shed in, the, in our backyard in, in Canberra and then to this shed here in the middle of nowhere, our products are going all over the place. It's, yeah. When we had those first discussions, I, you know, I said, there's a hole in the market and it's for a grinder. And I said, this is what I would like. And about a week later, Ewan sent me some pics. Oh, here's the prototype. And it's made out of MDF and plywood. (laughs) That was the original noob grinder there. The original steel frames floating out here somewhere, actually. We moved it the other way. (laughs) That noob grinder from that humble beginning, there must be, there must be a, a thousand of them out there now. So the 72 we released some years after the noob. So that noob grinder is now the shop master or shop, shop, shop mate. I don't even know my own marketing name. Brian wisely decided to name the noob with, with no outside influence. <laughs> <laughs> I might add. Um, yeah, and the, the look on his face is it all. Yeah, so we, we decided. The noob grinder. We decided that maybe we should be a bit more serious about the naming and not let Corin name anything else. Mind you, he's not the only one that's made some interesting names because we do have a strap on surface grinder. I can thank my lovely wife for that one. <laughs> <laughs> can we cut net at that? Uh, <laughs> Just. <laughs> We need to put that completely out of context. <laughs> I can thank my lovely wife and the wrap on. Mm. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah, mm. yeah, hindsight's a wonderful thing. Oh, it is. Who'd have thought? That. Yeah. That's good because I'm a, I'm a user of your equipment i reckon it's great it's you know it's just so straightforward and it's reliable it's dependable stuff we've got a couple of manufacturers in australia obviously the after sales <laughs> support is second to none second to none i would really like to have one of your gibson 72s and when i well if i decide to stop teaching down the trail some stage and just go into knife making for my own fun and pleasure i'll probably get one of those 72s as my dedicated knife making machine and then have the the noobs and the shop mates there as wood or keep the half inch wheel on one and the wood belt on another one as like lots of people like to have but um there gibson 72 now that thing's a friggin masterpiece that one's unreal yeah i got one yeah you got one yeah. keith, <laughs> <Flutter's> got one. <laughs> keith, keith flutter man yeah if you want a sales pitch listen to keith talk about that grinder Keith, that that one was Keith, a game changer. Very happy with it. Yeah, but that's the thing, right? I'm going to just talk for you. Do that. That's the thing, though. With all of your products, even the small, even the noob grinder, as I still call it, the Shopmate seventy two, Shop Shopmate forty eight, even that grinder is just so fucking capable. It's so capable, and that's the thing. Like you don't, you can buy a Gibson seventy two, but there's 
not much you can't do on a shot, mate. Oh, absolutely. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's such a capable grinder. The, the Gibson's might blows your mind what that can do, but yeah, there you go. It was always the plan to release grinders that were as usable as possible and to include as many features as possible. And we didn't want to say, hey, you have to buy, you know, the model three models up to get this feature. Interchangeable. You want to be able to make it up on, on the basic grinder. And I do the classes from my workshop and uh, when the people come along and they, they get to use one of those machines and they they sort of hit you up about what's the best thing to look at in knife making. I, I tell them the, the best thing you can get in knife making to start out is the best grinder that you can afford to buy. And that's going to set you up because you want something that's reliable. You know, you can get, you can add on to it as you go and work out where your shortcomings are in the knife making. And, you know, I've had stacks of people come through and they're like, yeah, I, I can get one of these. I'm going to get one of these. Well, I still call it the noob as well. So I probably sent them on a bit of a bum steer. I noob grinder on Gamaco. <laughs> <laughs> they go, fuck, I can only find a shop mate 48. Oh yeah. That's that fucking thing. Yeah. Wankers changing names halfway through the fucking thing. But uh, they're, they are a bomb-proof thing. They get a massive workout at my my shop, you know, and like I said, the, yeah, they're just such a good fucking grinder, man. I'm very happy that you got into it. And they've, they've come so far from the first plywood one I, I saw that nowadays the, all the wheels are, are covered in, what are they covered in, Ewan? Some black shit? Yeah, so the, the wheels are all aluminium with a nitrile rubber compound on them. And, yeah, we, we were using solid, solid wheels, solid urethane wheels for a while, but, um, you know, in the constant improvement that we really like to see, we've you know we've changed those to the aluminium with the rubber, and they're great wheels. They supply so much belt traction. You know, you don't spin your belt, but spin your wheels and your belt, and they're nice to grind on. And yeah, they're good wheels. Yeah, really happy with them. Kyle Royer was uh, using the Shopmate Forty Eight at the symposium, and he had a, nothing but good things to say about uh, your grinder as well in terms of its. Um, tracking reliability and it, it's just its ease of use and setup. He might not admit to that. Yeah, he, was but... quite... <laughs> oh, he, he was quite when we set when we set his um, plunge grinding jig up. Um, he was quite amazed at how stable the tracking was. Yeah. So that was that was a real boot for me to have someone like that. You know, tell me that he liked the grinder. That was yeah. And there were like eighty witnesses. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's probably on film too, is it? <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Josh was loitering with intent. Yeah. Just the whole tracking mechanism, it looks similar to just like every grinder out there, but it actually works a little bit differently. And with the polyurethane wheels, it just performs outstanding. So it's a, just a credit to you to what you've put together there. Really yeah. good. So, Yui, with your, I guess, your expansion now to having a Thanks, dedicated Tom. workshop, if you were to you know, put it out there to get someone in and working for you, what would be your sort of checklist for someone to come in? So I'm really interested in employing people that are either in the knife making industry or into knife making themselves or have similar interests so that they can relate to the product and so that they can help to grow the product um, and, and understand the product. So I don't, not, not sounding rude or mean, I don't want people who are just looking for a job. I want people who are interested in helping develop the product further and being able to understand how the product is used is obviously paramount to being able to develop it. Yeah. Other than that, yeah. you know, 
honestly, it doesn't matter how skilled or unskilled you are. If you're if you're keen to to learn and you're keen to help, then you know you can probably work for me. <laughs> the yeah, only, yeah. The yeah. main drawback, I guess, for people would be your location. But you know, I'm sure there's some people around that sort of southern tableland sort of area or whichever we call it these days down that way that you know might be interested in that sort of thing yeah look absolutely i'm sure that i'm sure there are and there are some already that i've spoken to <laughs> but you know at the same time it, it is a lovely part of the world if you can put up with the cold you know so if you're you know looking to move for a job <laughs> we're, yeah. we're here um, yeah, the, again, this was all things that would have been sort of put out there already, but um, given the state of the the country, hasn't happened yet. Yeah. yeah, and it's a funny thing, though, that the one of the reasons why I brought it up is because at the moment, like I said, we had a period of time where we were you know, almost shut down through the fires. You know, a lot of people had to stay indoors and find different things to do for that period over summer there. And now we're set in this situation with this bloody virus that we're same thing. We're on effectively on lockdown again. And it's probably been a big period of time for a lot of people to sort of reflect on what they're up to and what they're doing and what they want to look at as a priority. You know, where are they happy where they live? Do they want to move somewhere? Do they want to do something different? And that sort of, to me, looks as though it's almost in a way, almost a fortuitous thing for yourself that someone might just be going, fuck, I want to, I want a bit of a tree change. I want to go to the country and you know you've just said now that there's a potential that you know there's this employment opportunity or opportunities of coming up you know like i said it's a nice little country town yeah. to be it's certainly something that we've discussed that you know if people are looking for it like you say they've had time to think about their lives a little bit you know you might be happy where you work you might be unhappy where you work you might have just lost your job because people are being laid off oh yeah that's um, it you know unfortunately it's the the reality we're living in and you know maybe you do want to just pack up and move somewhere else and you know become part of something hopefully that's you know going to be big and last a, a long time so yeah it, it's yeah it's definitely something that's crossed our minds as well yeah, yeah for sure that'd be that'd be a pretty awesome sort of thing actually so i guess not delving into your fucking secret archive of stuff and things, but have you got any anything new on the cards or anything that you've sort of considered putting out to the market that you might be working on that, you know, give us a teaser? I can see you now at the moment just going, fuck you, Kev. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look, the reality for me for the last, and, and the reality, the, the reason that this, one of the main reasons that this this has come about is because if we keep going down the path we're going, any new idea that I come up with sits on a shelf and doesn't get touched yeah. because we don't yeah. have time to do it. So one of, the, one of the main goals of this is to oh, free up my time, yeah, to free up my time to actually be able to develop new things. And there are a bunch of different things, both things that are accessories for grinders, like, you know, plunge grinding plans. Oddly <laughs> 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 um, enough. And and look, honestly, that's been something that, that I've been asked for for several years. It's not something that's that's only just been brought up. And there are other things that aren't grinder related that are 
forging and blacksmithing related that we'd also like to look into doing. So, and again, I'm getting asked for. So all, hopefully the, the goal is, is that all these putting people on will free me up from production so that we can develop some new things. So definitely, definitely new things in the system. And yeah, definitely want to get them out there. It was kind of a loaded question because I know from the times I've caught you in person lately, you, you look fucking shag, man, honestly, you do. And that's to probably give people that understanding that you, you're like a solo team or, you know, apart from Sarah, you're a solo team at the moment. And there's only so much that you can do in the time that you've got in the day. So, yeah, loaded question to say, you know, he's, there's stuff, but by fuck, you need some help. Well, I've had that, you know, I had that realisation, um, you know, when when Sarah was living down here and the kids were going to school and I was still in Canberra and I was working just like all hours. Um, I did that for about three months. Um, and that was a wake up call in the end that I just can't do this. I can't work from eight in the morning till 11 at night every day of the week and you know, <laughs> yeah. still be a fucking and human being. I was going to say, and, main, and maintain some level of sanity. Yeah. 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 So you've, um, all, you've already no, got a bit of a reputation as a, as a mad genius. <laughs> Maybe not so much a genius, but you're fucking mad. No, just, just mad. <laughs> I was going to say, just mad. <laughs> <laughs> So what are your pet peeves, you and What pisses you off in the industry? What pisses me off in the industry? There are several things that piss me off in the industry. The biggest one would be the misinformation. Fuck yeah. Uh, there are, there, and I'm sure that pisses everyone off, but, but social media has this tendency to spread misinformation unbelievably fast. And you can't be there to, to, to correct people all the time. And you shouldn't have to correct people because people should wake up themselves and go hang on a minute <laughs> but yeah misinformation and, and people people genuinely believing that they need xyz to be able to come out with a certain outcome you know and, and when it's obvious to a lot of people you just don't other than that yeah that's a that's a really good point though isn't it like i i get it all the time like where people say oh i'd love to do this but i just need the equipment and it's they were doing that 2,000 years ago. That's not a new thing, right? You can do it with basic stuff and a bit of brain power and, and, and half an ounce of actually wanting it enough. Yeah. I just don't think people want it enough well, sometimes. They just want the gear more than they wanted the outcome. They, yeah. they like to own tools. I mean, there's nothing wrong with liking to own tools unless you own lots of tools and don't actually do anything with them. Guilty as charged. Guilty as charged. <laughs> Which I, I am too at the moment. <laughs> I, I, I bought a new anvil last year and it hasn't even come off the floor yet. <laughs> it's never had anything hit on it. Yeah, uh, I think that absolutely the, the excuses to, to not make things is unfortunate. But yeah. yeah. There's some repositories of information. There's some places as well that give out information and they, frankly, they just make it up, and I. It really irks me. It irks me as a, uh, as an industry supporter, as an industry person as well. So I really get where you're coming from there. There was one just recently that really got under my skin. There's a few things that you know they take. I mean, most of the stuff we use, the abrasives we use, they're aimed at big industry. They're not aimed at knife makers. And people take the data that industry says this is how this tool, this should be used, and say, well, this is how we have to use it for knife making. 
when the application is completely different and you, you kind of got to take a step back and say, well, actually, you know, for knife making, maybe we'd be better off doing this or maybe we don't need to do that because, well, we're not, we're not grinding for high production, you know? So I think that I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, as a, as a <laughs> reasonably long-termer in this game, I see it more and more, more and more, more and more these days with social media. Dude. Just the just the fucking there's no other way to say it. The absolute fucking shit people dribble and they are so fucking thoroughly convinced that they are right because you know they've decided they're right for no other fucking reason. Don't let facts get in the way. They fucking put this shit out there and they fucking stand by it to they would stand by it to the point where they'd probably fucking die for what they say. And it's just like fuck me, you're you know you're fucking wrong. Yeah. Look, anyway, I don't I don't want to put people down. If you but if you're new to the industry, um, and I'm not shitting on it because we were all there once too. But if you're new to the industry, and you're fairly sure you know something, because you've heard it, seen it on YouTube or something, please be aware that you are open to have that belief challenged, and it may be that you have the wrong belief. Okay, maybe it's not a good idea to start spouting that all over Facebook or whatever, because down the track, you're going to look back as I do now for stuff posts I put out in 2007 and eight. I look back at it and think, <laughs> oh, fuck, I said that. You know what I mean? Like, but that's OK. And I'm, what my point is, is that if you're just starting out, fact find, verify yeah. your facts before you try and be helpful. Let the guys that have been doing it for a long time that know what they're doing talk. It's not hard this day and age to trace fact back to the source. That's the thing. You know, look look who's telling it. Go back and research it and find where that information came from. It's not fucking hard. There's a source for everything. Nah, the fucking bring it. <laughs> just, just brings us down a level, mate. That's it. It does. So let's go on from there. We've, let's fuck pet peeves. Let's talk about fucking what makes you excited, Ewan. What makes you excited in the knife industry? What makes me excited? In knife what makes making. Me excited? Oh, yeah, not strap-ons. In knife... Oh. <laughs> Strap-on? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be cutting that out. <laughs> cutting out of that too. <laughs> <laughs> What makes me excited? Some of the ideas that I have and some of the things I want to make make me very excited. It also, uh, just doing some actual knife making myself makes me excited. The thought of being able to do that knife making and axe making, I'd really like to get into making axes. But yeah, mostly, well, yeah, mostly what I'm, the ideas I've got that I want to get out. Um, and also, shows make me excited. Um, we were really bummed that we missed Perth. Yeah. And, now we're not having Melbourne and, you know, I, I, we, I and then for someone who is an introvert and hates seeing people and whenever I'm told, oh, let's go out and do this, I, I'd rather sit at home. For me to actually be excited to go to a knife show is, is a really difficult thing for me to admit because it's really out of personality, I find. But I, I do generally get really excited about going to knife shows. Um, and, and talking to people and seeing people and seeing seeing what people are making and, you know. It's quite incredible, though, when you go to a knife show, Ewan, and you walk around, you know, probably 80% of the knives on tables came off uh, something you made. Yes, that is an incredible thing. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> it's 
It's a huge thing, mate. It's a huge thing. What you've put together there with 84 Engineering and supporting the Australian industry and making it happen is, it's a, it is a credit to you, mate. It, it couldn't have happened without the drive and the, the willingness and uh, the creativity and the whole bit. So good on you. And it's been a pleasure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I bet you there's been times when you've wanted to just fucking just say, fuck this. I'm going back to just oh, being a florist. Earning a salary and being a florist. Yeah. Being a delivery boy. Oh, look, of course. Of course. I think everyone has surely has those moments, especially when you're in business for yourself. Yeah, of course. You know, and then you, you kind of collect yourself and you get up the next day and you kind of go, well, I have to do this, so I do it. Yeah. Um, and, and there are times when, yeah, you, you, you're not excited about what you're doing and stuff. But I think there's always been carrots in the future to, to sort of keep me going. And, and like I say, these these ideas that I want to get out of my head are kind of a carrot at the moment and have been for a while. Yeah. Well, that makes yeah. that makes us us excited too. Like fucking, you know, <laughs> we, we're keen to see what fucking does come out. Like it's, you know, the latest fucking thing. You know, I, I don't know about others, but I sit at my, I wear on me my workshop because I'm in there all the time. I'm fucking constantly thinking of things that I could, you know, maybe present to you. I'd give you some real fucking loose description of what we need and then your engineering brain would kick in and straight away, I think it's happened in the past where you've gone, yeah, that's not going to fucking happen. Or you go, oh, yeah, that'd be an idea, but you'd have to consider these things. I get the idea and then I've got to put things to people like yourself that have that different way of thinking that you then go yeah that'll be a reality or no nah, fuck you, you, you're smoking drugs Kevin. what are you doing get off the net <laughs> it's my experience and you know i've been selling 84 engineering products and in fact belt grinders in australia for the past fuck it you know it's like seven years now eight years and to be honest mate the customer service the standing behind the product it was not smooth running we did not hit the ground all the time with no failures we've had problems well, we have but all through the whole process, there's been no walking away from an issue and we've looked after the customer and buying an 84 engineering now is widely accepted across Australia and now in fact the world as being a risk-free purchase because you know you're going to get the after-sales support uh, that you need in anything that you buy. Yeah. So it's been it's been really good. It's been a fantastic experience working with you and uh, oh God, I don't know how many grinders we've put through, but it, we've done a lot. Not Probably Alex going to take over, but... That's okay. He's got a bigger market. <laughs> well, yeah, true. Yeah. He has a fucking just numbers there, man. That's it's it. Two million followers. Numbers, 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 and numbers and um and a, and a dismal Australian exchange rate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. We hear stories about people bringing in grinders from overseas, and inevitably they get trapped. You know, something goes wrong. And they're left on their own trying to figure out how to fix it or whatever. And so, again, being in Australia here, local support, locally manufactured, we're there on the ground to, to assist. And most of the time, Gamaco stocks enough spare parts to get anyone out of trouble on anything that might might occur under normal circumstances. It wouldn't be the first time my staff have pulled a grinder apart to get a part for someone to get them out of trouble as soon as possible. So, as you and Hates are doing. Uh, no, <laughs> It's happened before. Oh. <laughs> Get over it. Definitely. But but it's about yep. the customer. People people yeah. need their, their grinder going for the weekend and we respect that. So we have a lot of trouble keeping up at, at times. But um yeah, it's just uh it's just a good good relationship, good one that's been built on for a long time. And from that first symposium where you brought the grinder, I think it was the second It was the first one at Keith, I think. 
the first of the first one, one. Keith was before. Yeah, Michael. no, no, the first, first of the, yeah, first, first of the newer one. ones. Um, it was the first symposium I went to. Right. Um, and then I did a bulk buy for twenty of them. Yeah. So see yeah, how we nice. went. <laughs> and then twenty. Oh, <laughs> twenty bulk buy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just the pers- that's it. It's just the perspective still, how it's, how it's grown. They were the days, my friend. I, I still I still remember being scared of the financial investment to make twenty grinders. You know that, that was I still remember that thing. Oh God, that's 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 a lot of money, you know. And now I buy. Yeah, now we've got two hundred on the shelf or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, madness, madness. Um, but in a good way, come a long way, come a long way very quickly. And I can only thank uh, everyone that every single one that's bought a grinder or an eighty-four engineering product for that. Just wouldn't happen without them, without you guys out there. The only thing I'm waiting on is a fucking hat. A hat? You'll yeah. get one when you buy. You'll get one when you buy your seventy-two. Yeah, my fucking sister's got a hat. She didn't buy a fucking seventy-two-inch grinder. Well, I mean, what the fuck? <laughs> She's better looking than you. Well, well. <laughs> yeah. from, maybe, maybe from your perspective. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about this next time when we're drunk and on, on the whiskey, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I actually found I was doing a clean up of my garage to make space for a you know the slightly ex the excess equipment workshop, and I found still in plastic the eighty four engineering stubby holder that I got off you. Fuck, I don't have one of them. Oh, so you're saying you're saying you're saying that if you had a hat, it'd probably still be in a box somewhere, and you'd never uh, have worn it. Nah, today I don't have my hat on for the first time, fucking pretty much forever. So I'd, I'd, wear it. I'd, wear it. I'd love it. I'd make love to it. Oh, I mean, dear. I mean, I'd love it. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd wear. <laughs> so, talking about equipment, what's your favourite piece of gear in your workshop? Strap on. And what's the piece of gear that you think you most want or need? You strap on. <laughs> you, you, you talk. Yeah, that could be Sarah's. <laughs> Here we go. Welcome to the most professional oh. podcast of knife making in Australia. <laughs> so, you wanted seriousness. Well, you got to the wrong podcast. Yeah, yeah right. Answer the fucking question. So, most exciting. Uh, so, can you? Uh, are we talking? We're talking knife making stuff. No, no. Your like workshop. You're an engineer. Your workshop. Yeah, right. Yeah. My my best thing in my workshop. Uh, that would be that would be something that Kevin is quite well versed in, and that's. His strap on my drill press. The tapmatic. Yeah, oh, yeah. Nineteen forty nine Hercus Camelback drill press. Tap a lot of holes. We have a tapping head on it. We tap all. We were tapping all our holes on it. Beautiful piece of gear. Just beautifully designed. It's curvaceous. It's heavy. It's just lovely bit of gear. Oh, put your pants back on. No, yeah, I will. Hang on, I just made a mess. Um, <laughs> The only thing in my shop, Hercus, is a, a Hercus power hacksaw. And i got to tell you, I feel exactly the same way about that machine, except that it's a bit more throbbing backwards and forwards thing. But it's, it's still good. <laughs> so, fellas, I've, 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 seen, I've seen and used both of your Hercus products. And I have to say, Yui's drill wins. That thing is... Uh, no that, doubt. 
It's a fucking, it's a sexy Betty's man. Oh, that's when can we get a, can we get a photo for the Facebook? Put up a photo on our Facebook yeah. so people can see it. We, we flick, can do that. Flick us a, flick us a photo and we'll put it up on our in, uh, Facebook page. No worries. Yeah. No, that is a beautiful drill. Yeah. yeah. So um, um, anything that anything that you want to put out there, Yui, while we wrap things up, mate, anything that you want to, you know, do, say, think, vocalise, dance, whatever. <laughs> uh, look, I just hope, really. I hope in these times that everyone is is focusing on the things they enjoy doing while they're stuck at home, bored out of their brains. Once you you know, make sure you go and make a knife or go and do what you enjoy rather than worrying about all this crap that's in the world. Because um, that's what I'm doing. I think that's what we all we should all be doing at the moment. Yeah, and have a laugh and look after. You. Sorry. And have a laugh. We're <laughs> <laughs> fucking having a laugh. <laughs> and no, seriously, I, I, the thing that I think is people to take in this thing super seriously, and they have to take it super seriously because it's super serious and shit. But, but guys, have a fucking laugh. We're Australians. We look after our neighbours. We look after our mates. We're going to get through this together. We're going to tell stories about it forever. They're going to get better the more we drink. Let's rock and roll. Have a laugh. Fuck yeah. Absolutely. Fuck yeah. Yeah. Get in your sheds yeah. and do some shit. I have. Yeah. I didn't make a knife yet. Not you. Not just you. Oh my God. This is the listeners I'm talking to, not you. We fucking see your shit up every day. Yeah, I know. It's exciting. <laughs> I'm getting three hours, three hours of my life back every single fucking day. It's hard not to be excited. Like the business is going to shit. It's hard to wonder how you're going to pay the next month's salaries. You know, there's a whole lot of big, bad, not scary shit in the background, but I'm getting three hours in the shed every fucking day. So it's all good. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm hearing you. Well, on that note, I think it's probably a good time to wrap things up. Good on you, Yui, for joining us today, mate. Always good to have a chat with you. Um, no worries. Hopefully, Thank you. Hopefully our next show, which is probably going to be Sydney, hopefully that's going to go ahead. But yeah, good on you, man. That was a good insight into what you're getting up to with your little fucking hermit hole over there in Coomerville and uh, all the shit that's going on with 84 Engineering. It's exciting times. I'm waiting for the hammer in, mate. Once you get it all set up, we've got we to gotta have a hammer in there. Fuck yeah. Yep. Or a machine in. I don't know. What do you guys do? Do you have a drill in? <laughs> <laughs> with the Hercus. I'll bring my power hacksaw. <laughs> we can make fun. Hercus <laughs> in. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear all good i've got a um uh i've got a bunch of knife magazines were delivered i was going to read one today if we if we had the time but we didn't so next next week i was gonna basically gary tom donated about 30 odd australian knife magazines piece of history there so we can have a little bit more to draw from in our history segments in future as well so big shout out to gary tom good listener of the show yeah, and thanks to everybody Thank like you. that like gary that contributes there's somebody designed a shirt for us the other day and it's really great we just have to get our shit together and get that printed so yep yeah cool beans yeah righto that wraps it up yeah. eh? sorry Mert. Mert had to disappear to do some stuff with his family uh so he made a very very small appearance we could probably edit him out uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what I'm going to hear from that you know what I'm going to hear from that fuck you Kev <laughs> so, <yeah. laughs> 
Uh, hopefully we'll be back a little bit more normal <laughs> as we progress through. Right, Thank you, guys. So, cheers, everyone. Thanks, you and thanks, right mate. Bye. All right. Cheers, you. See ya. See you, guys. I've got to go. I've got someone company. Make love to his strap on.